Welcome to Drinks with Defenders. I'm Addie B. Plate. And I'm Kayla Murphy. We're two law school friends turned criminal defense attorneys turned podcast hosts. We're here in this space because we now work in separate offices and miss collaborating with each other. We've been talking about creating a podcast for years where we talk about the complexities of the criminal justice system, the aspects of it that we grapple with, and the importance of what we do. At the end of a long work week, we want to sit down, have a drink with each other, and talk about the rabbit holes of criminal defense, just like we always have. So let's get into it. Cheers. (laughs) (laughs) So I agree with that. I'm always in this headspace, man. (laughs) My survival mechanism. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm like, are we being honest about this podcast? (laughs) Okay. Start with that. Um, (laughs) Dude. Um. Fuck, man. I have. I. I haven't even taken a drink from this, Addy. Micah prepared it for me. This jalapeno rosé. Let me rest- let me let's start with that. I mean, welcome to 2024. Yeah. <laughs> we're kicking it off with my favorite Fuck. drink. Fuck is right. Uh we're kicking it off with my favorite drink. Um I discovered this on TikTok, I think last summer, and I just really like rosé. And so it's rosé and then you add jalapeno to it. There's a TikToker who makes good drinks and she made that and tastes like a margarita but without the tequila. So if you like like a spicy margarita, it's probably your speed. Um, and then like something that I've learned with rosé is I, I have yet to really have a rosé I don't like, but picking a rosé that is made from like, if you like a certain type of wine, get a rosé that's made from that wine. So like tonight I'm drinking a rosé of Sangiovese. It's great. And then I just added some jalapenos and that's where we're at tonight. So you'll have to tell me if you like it. The longer the jalapenos sit, the more it kind of like absorbs the flavor, but very much my speed totally. might not be for everybody. It's classy. It's unique. It's dynamic. It's intelligent. It's she's multi-dimensional. Hey, Listen, thank you so much complex. for that compliment. <laughs> a little <laughs> bit spicy. True. Yeah, I mean, I'll <sighs> take it. If I'm getting compared to a drink I like, I'll take that. So thank you, thank you very much. Um, however, now if I'm like mm. pitching something it that really I like, does taste. Yeah. What does it taste like to you? What, what's your what's your take? No, I was just gonna say it's like sophisticated. Okay. Classy. Okay. Well, now I feel like if I'm pitching Elevate. a drink on here that I actually if I'm pitch, if I'm pitching a drink on here that I actually like, and people then like try it and they think it's ass. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but like I'm glad you like it. That's all that matters. We're here to drink things that we like. So fuck it. If other people don't like it, I won't recommend another drink on here. And Kayla, you can take over next time. <laughs> <laughs> you look um, so cozy right now. The can that I you, got. Your hoodie. What were you saying, Clark? Please, Clark. Um, the can that I have is the original carbonated wine, and the notes are bright, fruity, and flavorful. 
I think that the wine stand that you're talking about, they have at Trader Joe's. So I've had like every type of wine from that brand. And also I think it's either a half bottle of wine or a full bottle of wine, depending on the type of wine can it is that's in that can. So drink responsibly. If you're getting wine in a can... It's a half. It's a lot. Okay, yeah. And people, it's not the same equivalent as drinking like a can of beer. Just drink responsibly out there. We did, you know, we talked about DUIs on here previously. So... Oh, I think we lost Clark. Oh, he's back. There he is. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast. Fuck. Can you can you guys hear me better? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's uh it's two glasses of wine, so half a bottle. And I will sip lightly or not because yeah. you can't see me because my camera's not working. Listen, drink as heavy as you want. Just be careful about driving. That's all I'm here to say. So we've talked about that before. (laughs) I just have to drive. (laughs) Tune in to episode three. (laughs) My my feet to my bed. You're good. You're you're chilling. Take it away. Damn, guys. What do you have to say? So so what the fuck is up? Um, Last week. (laughs) Last week was a lot for me. Oh, okay. It, oh God! I so the tea. I won't get into like specifics, specifics. But long story short, like I had like four cases set for trial, and oh. I just it was just a nightmare of a week. And um, of course, like every time when I get super stressed out about a case going to trial, like something happens and it doesn't go right. Right. Um. But yeah, man, I'm just. Something I'm learning about myself is just like I fucking hate uncertainty. Mm. And there's so much uncertainty in this job. And yeah, uh, it's just something I need to learn how to cope with. I just like I find that I really grasp on to like clients and issues and cases like super tight. And when yeah. people like, you know don't return my call. Don't show up. You know what I mean? Like things don't go my way. Like I get super stressed out. And so I think that the key to longevity in this job is to just like loosen your grip a little bit. You know what I mean? And just recognize that like, yeah. I am so, (laughs) no. Okay. So I think that that is such a good jumping off point because well, tonight we're going to be talking about just like a year in review. And I think that Honestly, one of the most profound experiences I think I had in the past year, like in 2023, I was talking to somebody about that entire feeling and like the the parts of my personality that really struggle with not only that tension in my professional life in terms of wanting to control things and the feelings of powerlessness and kind of like obsessive compulsion towards my, my clients and my caseload and all of that. Yeah. But just, I think kind of life in general, I think most people who are attorneys really are people who are used to having things, you know, are, are used to excelling to some degree. And, and a lot of that comes from their own personal effort. And so when you have a job that's so out of your control sometimes, and, you know, life is just so out of your control. Like I just felt like I was gripping things, whether it be people in my personal life or things at my job, like way too tightly. And I was on a walk with somebody and we were talking about how something that we both wanted to work on was just like holding things more loosely. Um, 
where it's like you can still care, but you just have to like loosen your loosen your grip on something. And I just think that is like the common theme I think of my life right now. Just like working on holding things more loosely. I think that I kind of white knuckle my job and I kind of white knuckle my personal life. And um, you're, I, all of this to say, you're not alone in that experience. I'm sorry that it kind of came to last week because when those things like really show in your face that you've just been like clenching onto something it is exhausting and it's just like i don't know i feel like when i've clenched onto cases or stuff like too loose like tight and then it loosens or something else happens it's like why did i put all of that into something and then like that not going how i wanted it to just creates like so much additional stress um, and fatigue. Totally. And so I just, and I'm so yeah. sorry. And it's not like obsessing. No, it's okay. But it's at the end of the day, it's like the amount that we stress about these things, it, it doesn't make a difference. You know what I mean? Right. It's going to be In our what cases, it's going to be. Our client's going to show up or they're not going to show up. Like no matter how much just, you freaking freak out. Right. And the criminal legal system is unpredictable. Like I think we've talked about it several times, but I just feel like sometimes there's just like, a lot of balls up in the air and things are just constantly changing and like you know you could get a deal last minute or you know your client could want to plead last minute or you know just stuff can happen and so you leave something set for trial and the the, the rare like it's rare for something to even get left set and then it's even more rare if it actually goes and so having four left that I mean good on you I mean you probably were taking state to the mat a little bit with negotiating if they didn't want to go to trial and I hope that you got good outcomes for your clients in your cases um but things change really on the fly in this job so um it's hard to it's hard to have like organization (sighs) and feel like in control when there's so much just up in the air it's a really hard life to live with with that scheduling wise like it's so many of my coworkers, I think one of my coworkers left three set last week. And I think they all ended up resolving, but uh, he, he was getting ready to go for a date. Sorry, I'm going to be putting it on blast, but I think he had a date scheduled and he was like, I'll let you know if I'm actually free, depending on if any of my cases go to trial this week. So it's just kind of like hard navigating your own life outside of your workload if you don't know what your work week is going to look like. And then again, you know, we don't really have a say in everything at the end of the day because it's up to our clients, but we do anyways. So <laughs> there's that dynamic too. Yeah. It's a pain in the fucking ass, dude. Sorry. I have found that I... No, it's okay. <laughs> I I have found that I can only be like two of three things. Like I can either be stressed and doing my job and not be nice or be nice and stressed if I'm not doing my job or do my job and be nice if I'm not stressed. But like, I cannot fucking do all three. It's just impossible for me. I can't. Yeah. I feel like I I appreciate you get it. Yeah. I feel like if I'm stressed, if I'm stressed and I'm doing my job and like being nice, it's like at some point, like a straw breaks and like one of those gets dropped. And like, I really hope it's not the, you know, it, it can never be the like not doing my job or the not being nice because I don't want to take things out on like people in my personal life. I don't want to not get shit done work-wise. So it's usually just like I'm a complete nightmare with my mental health because like I have to put the other two first. And so like I just constantly feel like as an attorney, like I am having to like take everything on at my own personal expense. And that's, that's hard. 
So, I mean, at least it's nice to hear that you're going through some of the same realizations that I've had because it makes me feel like a terrible person. It makes me just feel like a bitch to deal with. So. No, yeah. I mean, I, I, I hope you never feel like a bitch. I mean, I, what I'm hearing is that you always try to be nice. Hamilton, stop. I, I mean, to be totally honest with you, like, I can be kind of a bitch to my clients sometimes, especially if they fucking annoy me. Ugh. And I try, <laughs> I try to be cool. I really do try to be cool. Yeah. But I'm not always cool. You know, I'm just Have you ever had a... and, like, I'm not always cool. Have you ever had a client snap at you and call you like a mean word? Are you kidding me? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what kind yes. of this? <laughs> you heard it you heard it here. You heard it here first, folks. I can be kind of a bee. It's because I care. And it's because I really don't like when people fucking like stress me out. I have so a, a client. Like so a a client, okay, I get client, a client has called you a bitch. Uh, I'm sure they have, dude. Yeah, in like the past three or three and a half, four years. I'm sure they have. I, I mean, totally. Um, <laughs> look, I'm trying to con- conjure up a specific like mental image. I, I can't think of a specific time when this has happened, but I'm positive that it's happened. Well, that makes me feel. You haven't had a client pass at you. Oh, I, I have, yeah, and it happened. It happened fun. in a courtroom, but I didn't get called a bitch. I got called. Oh just, yeah, it was funny. So yeah, but oh my god, Anyways. no, I got called a fucking bitch in the courtroom too, but not by a client, by just some fucking random person who was being annoying. But uh, anyway, kind of epic. But anyway, what's up, guys? The new year, new year, yeah. new us, <laughs> new, new year, new us. Maybe. <laughs> one week in how do we feel about 2024 oh man i, I feel know. like i mean 24 kayla what's your take i'm trying to be more reflective my lesson from this past week is loosen your grip you can't survive like this you have to just like loosen your like you you have to let go of the things you cannot control like you were yeah. saying addy and there's a lot yeah. of that in this job how are you um, feeling? I also looking? walked. Go ahead. I was going to say, I walked 30 miles this week. Oh. With my dogs. Holy shit. Oh, I was gonna, that's, that's crazy. I thought you were going to say just like at work. I was like, are you strutting up and down four houses? <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> no, no. No. Just walking, walking to the river, walking trails. Trying to take care of your headspace a little bit. Yeah, that's good. It makes me happy to hear. Absolutely. How are you feeling? How are you feeling about like the work you're ahead? What's what's coming for your private practice? What are you What are you excited about? Well, I I hope that I can. You know what? I shouldn't say that. I will learn how to like manage my shit better. Like, mm-hmm. what's tough managing your own practice is like doing all of the administrative stuff and also yeah. like doing being an attorney you know what I mean yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, like making sure all of your shit is like um you know calendared and downloaded and filed it's like it's annoying and it takes more time than you think it would um and I just my little ADHD brain just like tries to put stuff off and then that's just like makes my life so much harder so I just like Kayla 
do a little bit every day and you won't end up having to suffer for, you know what I mean? Hours. hours. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> it's just I... a learning process. I'm super happy. Like being home with my dog all the time is like a, living my dream. Like it's Good. all I've ever wanted. Good. What about you? Um, well, it's funny that we're doing this because I was thinking about like 2024 and what to take from the past year and kind of what I'm looking forward to. And it's like, we will be going into the second year of this podcast. We started this last year. So it's like, I'm excited for like, to come back on here and like share the things that I'm learning because I think that there's like a real wisdom and why it's called the practice of law because I think you're constantly working at it and trying to perfect it. And so I'm really excited about the things Amen. that are going to be things that I'm learning in the new year in terms of like getting different and exciting cases or, you know, just learning how to do this better because I feel like my entire first year has been like me feeling like I just got dropped into a shark tank with like floaties <laughs> like chase swim um but i'm yeah. also excited because next friday is actually my one year anniversary of being an attorney so like all of this shit that has happened has happened in my first year and so i'm just excited because i think it has to get easier from here the stakes get higher the more you the better attorney you become you get harder cases and you get, you know, it, it's going to always be hard to be an attorney. Like I know that, but I'm excited. The fact that like not being so new, I'm hoping that that's going to feel better, you know? So that's something I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to what my second year of practice is going to feel like. So I'm hoping that it's going to feel a little bit more comfortable than my first year. I think I've just been out of my comfort zone the entire year. and so. Um, I'm looking forward to that. I'm also just looking forward to like, just, you know, feeling a little bit more like I know what I'm doing and just that confidence that that brings, just how that's going to make me feel day to day. So I'm looking forward to that. And then also looking forward to like stuff in my, you know, my life outside of being an attorney, but shit, like the first year that Kayla, you know what that was like. I mean, you're still a baby attorney, but like, please tell me that your first year was the hardest one that you've had, because I feel like this past year was just trying to ride a bike and I had the training wheels on the entire time. It's really overwhelming. And I want to tell you that it gets less overwhelming and it does. I mean, I think that it maybe just gets hard in different ways. Yeah. I don't know, at least for me, that's how I felt like, you know, my first like year or two of practice, it was definitely just like trying to keep my head above water and just thinking that I'm the worst attorney and I don't know what the hell I'm doing every single day. Right. Um, And now it's like, I kind of, you know, understand what I'm doing. Like I'm keeping my head above water, but it's like these other issues that, you know, kind of weigh on you, like client management, like trying to loosen your grip over things you can't control and recognizing that you can't prepare for every possible thing. And like, no. I just am um, looking forward to like not feeling terrified to go to trial. Like the day that that comes, I think it's going to yeah. be a really big breakthrough for me because I feel like I get, I'm really scared of like the stakes of things. And so I think like just having more experience and time will kind of let some of those nerves settle a little bit because I feel like some part of the the part of the job that's still really hard for me is just feeling like stakes in other people's lives are just still so high 
and just like taking all of that responsibility on myself. It just, that gives me tremendous anxiety because it's just like all of those things that you can think negatively about yourself. Like I'm not good enough at this or I'm not, I'm not smart enough for this or I don't know how to prepare for this. Like all of those, I think, come to the, the surface when I'm like preparing for trial. Like I, in the last, you know, year when I've left after trial or the cases I've gone to trial, like the amount of stress I have feeling like I can't, I can't do my job to the best of my ability or I need to be better in some capacity. I'm really hoping that some of those nerves, just with time and experience, settle a little, little bit because, you know, client, like it's not my choice whether we go to trial at the end of the day. And so I want to just feel like, I walk into the court and I feel like a badass instead of like walking into the court and just like faking feeling like a badass because you just feel scared. So I'm looking forward to that day. That is the one thing in my career that I want more than anything currently is to just walk into court feeling like a badass instead of walking into court feeling like you have to fake it until you make it, you know? So. Yeah. I'm still waiting for that too. (laughs) I want that day. You walk in and you're like, I fucking got this. And like, there's days where there's like little hearings where you feel that way, but I think like the day I will feel like I've made it as a criminal defense attorney when I walk into court for trial, I'm like, I fucking got this. Um, hopefully it comes. So, yeah, yeah, I I know it will for you. Yeah, as far as today's episode goes, we basically each were thinking like we would pick a topic or two from 2023 Mm -hmm. that was law related and just talk to each other about it. Things we hadn't gotten around to really covering on the podcast. Yeah. So with that said, like, what's up? What did you want to talk to us today about 2023? I feel like if we're going to talk about the past year, like, oh, like 2023 was it was a lot, not just like career-wise, but I think something I think was important, Kayla, and I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like the legal world and just the news cycle in, in general in America can just be exhausting. And so like going back and I was thinking about like, oh, what happened last year? Like what's important to like talk about? It was like, holy shit. Like I fucking forgot that happened. And like, oh my God, like that's still pending case-wise. And it just felt like, there was just a lot of really big legal news last year, not only like from the Supreme Court level, but just like across the board, there was just a lot of shit that happened this past year. And so, oh, like if we're, if we're gonna get into it, I was like, all right, I'm gonna need an entire bottle for tonight. But um, no, I think that that was something that I think was like kind of important, but like the angle I wanted to go with it. I don't know exactly what you wanted to talk about. Like, but for me, it was like, I think there was just so many big things that happened this past year that just were so maybe I didn't have the space for to digest at the time, or they just got wrapped up into like the next breaking story. You know what I mean? And so um, I was going to pitch just for our listeners and also for you. um, While I was kind of looking at things that I wanted to talk about, I found this really interesting. um, It was a video from a news agency actually out of both of our home states out of our home state of Washington from the TV station KTVB7. Um, they did a video of big court cases and lawsuits of 2023. They had like an entire, I think it's like an hour long segment on just big cases from the past year. And I thought it was interesting in case anybody just wanted more of like kind of revisiting some of the big stories from last year. And I thought it was really well done because they took the news clips from 
um, and like media from when that story actually broke and like revisited it. And it was just and kind of gave an update as to what's happening. So I thought it was really well done, but um, there were so many things that I'm not going to get into tonight that I just kind of forgot happened in the past year that I think deserve like an honorable mention. Um, there was obviously the Murdoch yeah. case, which then was like a huge thing on Netflix oh. that um, my, yeah. And myself and um, KP who used to be on the podcast with us, who we need to have back. We watched the Murdoch um, stuff on Netflix when we were together in April. So I forgot that that happened last year. Um, and his sentencing, I think, happened last year. Um, the affirmative action cases last year through the Supreme Court. Um, there was the very big decision also from the Supreme Court on... Um, it, it was really kind of framed as more of like a gay rights case in which um, LGBTQ activists lost big at the Supreme Court in terms of that um, uh, business that was... It was upheld that that business could decline... Um, Providing services to same-sex couples. No. So it was kind of a similar rendition of that case, but it was um, like an online oh, marketing case. The website? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, that case. So it was, it was odd because it's kind of like the flip side of the wedding cake case, right? That we learned about in school. But um, so there were just big cases that were kind of revisited. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I kind of forgot you know, there were huge losses last year in terms of affirmative action um, and kind of where that leads, like higher education and a lot of other entities in the past. And they talked about some things that were interesting, I thought, in terms of state law as well. Um, specifically with Washington, affirmative action was... Um, affirmative action was struck down at the state level in Washington a long time ago. And then I think in 20... Recently, um, the governor of Washington then... Um, rescinded that strike down to uphold affirmative action. And then now it kind of got superseded by the Supreme Court. So it'll be interesting to see what the state does going forward. But yeah, so that was kind of interesting. And they did a really great review of that. And then they talked about the um, website case, um, which I can't think of the name of off the top of my head, but I think that was huge in terms of what that means going forward for other challenges at the Supreme Court, not only just for, um, you know, like queer rights, but I think also um, other marginalized community like challenges at the Supreme Court. Like they had an attorney on the segment that talked about how, um, you know, it's a very concerning thing in terms of like any protected class, what that means going forward. And uh I think it'll be something to watch in terms of challenges going forward. And so I really appreciated that. But yeah, just a lot of like big things this past year that I don't, I don't think either one of us could do justice to if we tried in terms of like all of the different things. But I really wanted to talk yeah. about the stuff with Trump and then the stuff with Tyree Nichols, but I wasn't sure what you wanted to talk about. So if I just mentioned anything that you wanted to address, please, um, Please step in at any point and tell me that to fuck off and that you'll do a better job than I just did because I'm sure you would. No, so go for it. <laughs> did not pick up. Did not pick those topics. <laughs> do you want me to go first? Yeah, you go first. Take us to church, girl. Okay. Take us. Give us your. Give us your. Oh my god. Teaching. This is some stuff I have fucking. I think like complained about on this podcast before, but. It's our podcast, and I'm still mad about it, so I'm like, I'm going to bring it back around. <laughs> um, 
I want to talk about the death penalty in 2023. Okay. And I want to specifically zoom in to Florida because Florida has made a couple of really significant changes to the death penalty, which I find to be very alarming. I mean, it's always so. I mean, I'm so. I mean, Idaho made, to be fair, Idaho made a really big change to the death penalty as well in 2023, which I think will continue to be challenged going forward because we got the rifle squad back. And that's a whole other thing that I think I might have touched on a little bit in this podcast. But death penalty challenges and different death penalty variations in 2023. I'm glad you're talking about it because there were several. But just I think generally speaking, Wait, Florida what? is. What did what did Idaho do? We got back the firing squad. Like shooting people to death? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean Yeah. I know that I'm I'm from I'm, uh, I'm from Utah. I'm from Utah and that was something that Utah had for a really long time and not all our states have it. And to be honest, I feel kind of um like a, a disservice as a criminal defense attorney say, especially in Idaho where I practice because I don't know a lot about Idaho's history in terms of um, different methods they've had in the past. But yeah, I think the legislature brought it back mm-hmm. last year. Um, and I'm sure that there will be, Yikes. you know, I, I'm sure that there will be more headlines in terms of what's going to happen with that going forward. But the death penalty had some very interesting outcomes, I think, kind of nationally in 2023. But what I was saying, I just think it's always Florida that's doing something kind of crazy. So I mean, I don't want to, man. I don't want to just throw a state under. Just doing the most. Wasn't it last you know, year that they went to court with Disney? Florida? Yeah, like DeSantis like tried to challenge Disney and like make them not their own like state or whatever that they are. I have no idea. I remember but... all of that drama because Disney like what wasn't into DeSantis's politics. And so DeSantis got all upset about that about that. And yeah, I don't I don't recall. Clark, it's been it's been too long. Florida is just always up to some shit. I feel like in terms of like when you read a case and you're just like, what is happening? You figure out it's from Florida and you're like, oh, okay. And then you kind of get situated into like the political environment that is that state. And it makes a little bit more sense. But I mean, it's just, it's sad because I feel like Florida, Alabama, and Mississippi off the top of my Texas, head. I think executes the second most. Yeah. Don't quote me on this, but I think that Texas is number two to Florida and executing the most people. Yeah. And so when I think they're, about when they're up of, there, when I think about just states that have a really horrible history with a death penalty, it's like Texas, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, those like kind of just jump out at me. And I don't want to like upset any, don't quote me. There might be other states that are worse and maybe you can come on here and correct me on, um, you know, those states not being as bad as others. But in my head, I feel like those always kind of jump out. In Florida, you know, we've, we've brought him up here on the podcast before. Ted Bundy was executed in Florida. You know, we've had, we're no stranger on this podcast to death penalty in, in Florida. So Kayla, go for it. Tell, tell, tell us what you've got about what you want to talk about in Florida. <laughs> okay. Throw it under All the right. bus. Well, <laughs> so first, just to kind of like paint a little, uh, picture of the legal landscape, if you will. 
Uh, currently, 27 states, the federal government and the military have the death penalty. Okay. So in 2023, 24 people were executed in the United States, according to the ACLU. So zooming in on Florida here. So first, DeSantis signed a very reactionary bill that and, lowered and for, and, the number. Wait, Kayla, just back up. For people who don't know, who aren't like into politics, who just listen to our podcast and potentially like international people who might be into our podcast, Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, governor governor of Florida. There you go. Thank you. Thanks, Addie. My apologies. Yeah. No, you're good. So, um, yeah, I guess so to back up a little bit and and kind of uh, talk about what this bill was in reaction to, um, there was a terrible school shooting in Florida, the Parkland shooting. And yeah. the defendant, Nicholas Cruz, I think his name. Is he the guy is. that they had the fetal alcohol defense presented? I can't school? say 100%, but that feels right. That Because okay. that was like the sentencing that was all over social media, right? I think because, so. So basically the jury ended up not voting for death. Right. He he murdered, I think, 17 kids, um, injured. I don't even know how many, but they voted against death. And so in reaction to that, there was like public outrage. Right. And the governor signed into law a bill which lowered the number of jurors that are needed in order to sentence somebody to death. So out of 12 jurors, you only need eight jurors to vote in favor of death in Florida, which is the lowest number of jurors needed in the country. So let's put a pin. So let's, there's a couple of like steps that I think are important to point out. Somebody's convicted of murder, right? You have to have a unanimous decision to convict someone, right? And then certain states like going, so the decision and Kayla, I want you to correct me if I'm wrong. But my understanding of, you know, homicide cases, you have a case, the jury has to decide on whether the person's guilty or not guilty. Then once somebody is convicted or, you know, acquitted, if they're convicted, then the jury has to decide on the death penalty afterwards. So it's a, it's a decision after the original case. And in most states, It has to be a unanimous decision. I know that when we were in law school, I think Oregon, if I'm not mistaken, uh, unanimous decisions are a trend, I think, nationally in terms of, like, I think the death penalty um, going that direction so the the step with florida going against a unanimous decision is very like counter-majoritarian right yeah and not just like straight up 12 people if eight say yes the person is sentenced to death so yeah again lowest in the state all other states you need more people all other states that do the death penalty, you need more jurors to vote in favor of the death penalty in order to impose that sentence. Wild. So very significant. The next law that I wanted to talk about, I, I mentioned this briefly on the podcast before. Um, basically, 
Florida passed a law which has extended the use of capital punishment, or in other words, made it a death penalty offense to commit uh, sexual battery of a child. Obviously, people who do, you know, sexual crimes against children are not like a very sympathetic group of individuals. That being said, like, I don't know, Addie, like, being in the criminal justice system for a minute, like, it's a fucking clown show. You know what I mean? Yeah. Across the board, it's just like, it's just such a circus across the board. Not in regards to just like, you know, the work and the amount of the work and everything. It's just that you're, I, I, I constantly feel like I'm just like a ringleader of like a lot going on. But having like a law in a state where it is not, I mean, I, I'm just going to say it, I'm very anti the death penalty, you know, maybe making yeah, a political statement on this podcast. Shocker, you know, I'm a criminal defense attorney. I think that those, they don't necessarily have to be one or the other. You don't, you don't have to be an anti-death penalty to be a criminal defense attorney. But I feel like it's very hard for me with my, you know, beliefs and kind of political nature to accept that a state has imposed a potential penalty on an offense that doesn't result in the death of another person. So that a defendant could have the death penalty imposed when they haven't committed murder. It's already hard enough to accept for me that somebody could be executed at the hands of the state in a civilized society. But in Florida, that that has been expounded, you know, it it just feels so anti-everything we learned about in terms of, like, repealing the death penalty in, you know, like, the trend has been against that, I feel like, you know, the death penalty can't be imposed against juveniles. Like, it it, it just feels so anti the progress yeah. in terms of, like, yeah. the, the, the criteria in which the death penalty should be on the table to, like, extend that. It's just, like, in 2023, that feels bananas to me. I don't know. I don't know. What do you make of it? It definitely feels very authoritarian to me. And I don't know, I guess before I became an attorney, I just had this certain view of people in the legal profession, like, you know, cops, judges, lawyers. It's like, like somehow these people are above being human. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it's like being in the profession, you realize that they're not. They have just as many issues as anybody else. We're all fighting our own demons. You know what I mean? We all have like well, our own prejudices and issues. Like it's a it's fucked also, up system. It's also funny you say that because I feel like, you know, part of what I love about the job that we have is like painting the humanity of people, right? So it's like, I constantly feel that my job is to keep the humanity in this lifeless institution that is the criminal legal system. Like it is the job of the people who work in it. I feel like it's a tremendous amount of personal responsibility that I try to take very seriously in my work where I bring the pulse of like, it's not just the situation that happened in a vacuum. Like these are people that are complicated. 
this like life is complicated. All of these dynamics go into the things that we touch every single day. There's a very human element. And it's hard to work against an institution and in an institution that tries to kind of take some of the humanity out of it is how I feel. And I don't know. I'm sure that the other side of the coin has a different take on it. Right. Um, Because I imagine if you're prosecuting something and you're seeking, uh, if you're prosecuting something and you're seeking a punishment of any kind, your view of what the humanity is, is a very different story than potentially mine. But you know, you said it, it's hard. You're focused on somebody else's humanity. And you know, they're more focused on the alleged victim. I just can't imagine that the, it'll be interesting to see the challenges in terms of how that gets litigated going forward. Um, because I'm assuming it will be a nasty battle for that law to be upheld. Right. So, I mean, what's your take on it? Well, it's definitely like clearly unconstitutional, but this Supreme Court, who the fuck knows, right? What does that even mean to be unconstitutional? I don't know. I guess just like in conclusion, we have surely executed many innocent people. We have had innocent people on death row who have been exonerated. Just to leave you guys with some... Um, statistics here about like why it matters and how fallible our system is like um, let's see from um, or between 1976 to 2015 uh, the United States has executed 1,392 people and mm-hmm. between 1973 and 2023 192 innocent death row prisoners were exonerated or released Well, and I think that my thought too is just like the fact that we have to like, it's deplorable that innocent people have been executed, but it's also interesting to like have to situate it as like innocent people are being executed instead of just a conversation that like people are being executed, right? Like, and until there's a different conversation about that, I just, I don't know what my input would be um, because maybe I'd be seen as um, being too extremist with my thoughts on um, I just can't I just can't wrap my head around the fact that like we live in a culture where people are executed I just that will never make sense to me um, and and that, that's my that's my like exiting thought on on the death penalty just like being an, an attorney who's in criminal defense in the United States is wild for a lot of reasons. But the fact that we are really is. one of the only countries in the world that still has, and, and I'm doing air quotes, developed countries in the world that has the death penalty is just, it, it, it will never not shock me. So, And let's just pray that like Florida doesn't become the way of the rest of the United States, like how Ron DeSantis, presidential candidate, would have it, um, you know, be. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just like, that means... I think that's, I think that's my general theme too of 2023. It's like, you have all these decisions that are going before the Supreme Court. 
that I think has a history right now of just being kind of unpredictable, right? Like that's been the trend of the current sitting Supreme Court is just unpredictable. I mean, you have Neil Gorsuch who's continually like upholding uh, indigenous rights and that's unpredictable to me. And then you have like characters like Brett Kavanaugh who are kind of also not behind decisions that I would think for Brett Kavanaugh to be supportive of. Then you have like newcomer Kanpanji Brown, who's like authoring a lot of majority opinions in her first real session at the Supreme Court. Like, I don't know what any case that goes before our highest court, what those outcomes are going to be, regardless of the topic. And that's the thing that scares me. It's like, okay, we're going to have states that continue just pushing the limits because like, why not if yeah, you're exactly. trying to have some political they, agenda they because you don't know where you're going to or you just don't know what's going to happen. And so I think, yeah, why I not just, fucking roll the dice? Exactly. Right. And and so I think as an attorney, like that's very interesting to kind of keep a forecast on. But I think as just an American, like I, I'm constantly like, oh God, like I have no idea where the court is going to fall on any issue right now. That's that's the forecast we're going into in 2024. So that will be, that will be my... I hate to say it, Addy, but like, you're more optimistic than me. I appreciate that you like have a more uncertain attitude. My attitude is more like whatever the worst fucking way possible for them to roll is, is probably how they're going to roll. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I appreciate your optimism. I mean, you know me. Anyway, chronically optimistic. We'll we'll wait and see. (laughs) All right. It's beautiful. So, Uh, I mean, if we're leaving on a if we're we're leaving on a political note with your with your recap, should I? I'm gonna let. I have two. So I wanted to talk about some of the Trump cases and just like kind of a synopsis because I think there's been a lot. Um, and so I just kind of wanted to do like a quick synopsis because I think it would be remiss of us to not bring some of that up, um, because I think it's huge, right? I think really having a president that's had the amount of indictments that he's had in the past year, it would be remiss to not mention that. So I was just going to do a brief, um, synopsis of that. And then I also really wanted to talk about, uh, the Tyree Nichols case. So Kayla, I'm going to let you pick. They're both political. So which, which direction do you want to go? Um, I would like to hear about the Tyrese Nichols case. I, I'm really not familiar. So that's why I wanted to talk about Tyree Nichols. Um, I think something that kind of stuck out to me is, you know, just to kind of situate us politically and also where we're at in terms of like, the past few years, I was in law school when all of, you know, the George Floyd case was going on. Um, it's, you know, a, just another rendition of this history that we see in the United States of police brutality and kind of another case of fallout. So, um, again, you know, this is not, I'm not going to go into some of the graphic nature of the case because I don't think that that is appropriate. Um, But I think it's important to kind of point out what's happening um, in terms of like litigation. That's more the angle I wanted to take with it. Although I think it's also would be 
a huge disservice and really awful to not point out how absolutely atrocious the case is in terms of like, again, America has this like issue of police brutality that keeps making its way through the legal system in different ways. And, and I, and then, then that's really unfortunate, you know, like it's hard as a criminal defense attorney, because like, I think in a situation like George Floyd or in this case, Tyree Nichols, I see how both the police officers involved and the person that was like really the victim in this case could both potentially be my client. Right. And so I think that that's also kind of contextualizing where we're at. Um, something I wanted to point out, but again, I'm not really going to go into the graphic nature of it. I just kind of wanted to do an update on the case because I think America has gotten a little desensitized to, you know, it's a story that's very like same text, different font. Uh, we've been through this time and time again, and people don't even know who this person is because it's like, we've had this case in different renditions of it several times over the last few years. But um, Tyree Nichols is um, a gentleman who uh, was essentially um, brutally killed by law enforcement. Um, I believe the case took place in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, essentially, just uh, the long story short, he um, is a gentleman who died several days after a violent traffic stop um, that was captured in body camera footage. Um, the body camera footage shows officers striking him repeatedly. And five officers have been charged so far in connection with his death. The thing that's really interesting about his case is there's kind of a lot going on in terms of um, what's happening with the litigation in terms of like the state system and also the federal system. And there's also, um, you know, a lot going on with, with the five different officers. Um, again, his death was something that prompted protests and unrest throughout the entire country. Um, and so I kind of wanted to do just like a, a recap on the timeline and kind of where we're at. Um, so long story short, um, he uh, was a 29-year-old black man. He was pulled over um, by the police for the allegation of reckless driving. Um, something that's also really unfortunate about his case is he was um, really close to his home when he was pulled over. Um, Something that's really fascinating about his case is some of the investigation that's happening after the case with some of the cover-up that's been alleged against law enforcement. Um, again, he he passed several days after this incident. Um, my understanding of the case is that the allegations that were made by law enforcement was that um, he or originally tried to run away from them upon making contact with him. Um, and again, I think that there's a lot of similarities in terms of... Um, how his conduct was portrayed to the public. Um, similar, I, again, I think of just George Floyd, kind of him being portrayed in a certain light of like criminal behavior and being at fault, this and that, kind of everything. Um, he was trying to get home from work. I think he was a FedEx worker. Um, and yeah, it was a, it was a really um, nasty traffic stop gone wrong. Again, I'm not going to get into um, the details of some of that because I just, quite frankly, I don't think that that's appropriate. Um, but it's been um, a very interesting case in terms of what's happened 
with the investigation. So um, I think it's really fitting to point out that um, we're recording this episode on January 7th. Um, I believe his um, initial traffic stop occurred a year ago today. Um, he died three days after that. So he passed on January 10th, um, which was three days after he was originally detained by the Memphis police. Um, eight days later, the federal investigation begins. So as I mentioned, there's a federal case going on and there's also a state case going on. And I think both of those are set for trial um, this coming year. Um, two days after that, um, all of those police officers were fired. And um, so again, the five police officers were fired pending the investigation. Those officers were identified as, and I apologize if I um, mispronounce any of their names, but Tadarius Bean, Demetrius Haley, Emmett Martin III, Desmond Mills Jr., and Justin Smith. Um, something that's also interesting about his case to point out is that I believe all of those officers are also Black men. Um, after a review of the circumstances surrounding this incident, I believe the police department made the determination that the five officers violated multiple department policies, including excessive use of force, the duty to intervene, and a duty to render aid. So again, a lot of similarities, I think, to the George Floyd case. Um, something that's also very sad is that three days after that investigation, or three days after those officers were fired, um, Mr. Nichols' family described the body camera footage. And again, it was uh, violent and truly horrific. Um, and then on January 26th, um, an independent autopsy uh, was released. The officers were then um, officially criminally charged. And so um, they have all been charged with murder and are in custody. At, at that time, uh, they were charged with second-degree murder, aggravated assault, aggravating kidnapping, resultant bodily injury, aggravated kidnapping involving the possession of a weapon, official misconduct through unauthorized ex exercise of power, official misconduct through failure to act when there is a duty imposed by law, and official oppression. Um, they then pled not guilty um, in February of last year. At the end of January, the body camera footage was released, um, and then Shelby County's uh, Shelby County deputies were relieved from duty. Um, then, a couple days after that, um, the officials announced that two more officers were relieved of duty. Um, three Memphis, I believe, fire department members were fired, and then in February. Um, a white officer who encountered Nichols was fired. Um, that same month, seven additional Memphis police officers could face discipline. Um, and and it, the case just kind of spirals from there. A Memphis officer apparently texted a photo. Um, there were some records of that. There was a Memphis police officer who was terminated. Um, and then in September of last year, the five who are really at the center of this case were um, indicted on federal charges, which is kind of, I think, where the federal case really starts to spawn. And my understanding of the scheduling um, is uh, that the federal case, I think, is supposed to go before the state case. Maybe I have that backwards, but kind of both of them start tracking at that point. The thing that's really interesting about this case is that um, I believe one of the main officers entered a plea deal back in November. So, um, and some of the comments that I've seen from different people involved in the case are interesting because 
I think it's a plea deal in the federal case, but again, I'm not entirely sure. And the judge, as you know, Kayla can go along or disagree with the plea deal. Um, and it's just been interesting to watch. I think that the deal that was struck is I believe that officer has to testify against the potential other four officers. And I think, I'm not entirely sure, I think it was video footage of his attorney saying that um, an attorney is involved saying that a big part of why they allow the plea deal to be reached with this particular officer is that they don't think that he was the worst of the, the five involved. Um, but he pled. Um, and so I'm trying to find what I was looking at in terms of um, the man who pled. I believe it was the officer with the last name Mills who pled back in November. I haven't seen any updates on the case since. Um, so my understanding is the remaining four are set to go to trial. Um, but yeah, so, uh, oh, I found it. Um, so the ex-Memphis police officer enters a plea deal in state and federal cases. Um, that officer was federally charged with excessive force, deliberate indifference, conspiracy to witness tamper and obstruction of justice back in September. On the state level, the five men were charged with second-degree murder, aggravated assault, official oppression, two counts of aggravated kidnapping, and two counts of official misconduct. The officer who pled, he pled guilty to excessive force and conspiracy to witness tamper in federal court. Um, and in state court, he pled guilty to the slew of charges related to um, Mr. Nichols' death. So essentially, long story short, um, I believe his attorneys kind of depicted um, his plea deal as a taking of his responsibility. I believe Mr. Nichols' family um, hoped that that was the case, but they weren't sure if it was something that he, I believe I saw his mom speak and she wasn't sure if it was something about whether or not he was to take accountability for it or just a deal that was struck with his attorneys. Um, I believe that um, the next steps in the case for his co-defendants are, I think in May, um, I, it says the federal trial is slated to begin in May 2024. And I think that that's before the state case, which I think is August of this year. So um, it's interesting to see the involvement of, if any, he will have in the case against the four others or if they will eventually plead prior to going to trial or what's going to happen. I think that the thing that was interesting and why I wanted to bring it about is that I think there was a spectacle around the George Floyd trial that really, um, there were a lot of moving pieces in terms of the different officers. And I don't know if a lot of people who didn't have a legal understanding were able to keep track of how all of those things kind of were interconnected in terms of the different trials and the different um, charges against the officers involved in that case. So Long story short, I think just in kind of reviewing the bigger cases from last year, I was like, oh, I kind of did a negligent job of keeping track of what was going on with Tyree Nichols' case. I think I personally got a little desensitized to this type of case because we've just seen it so many times. Um, but it is really interesting. And I'm just, I'm hoping to keep a better eye on kind of what's happening. And now I have a better understanding of what's going on with the, you know, the two different systems. I'd be curious to see how um, it shakes out for his co-defendants. And really, I don't think he's been sentenced yet. And I don't know when that's slated to happen either. Um, so yeah, Kayla, I would love to know your thoughts if you have any. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. I I appreciate you bringing that 
bringing that up. Those stories are really important. And I'm definitely like also guilty of becoming desensitized. Um, And so, yeah, thank you for like personalizing that and zooming in on that story. I think it helps us to like, I don't know, just remember like that these are all like people, right? These are real people. These are real cases. These have real consequences. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You guys, thank you so much for joining us for our uh, 2023 recap. And we're so excited to take you on uh, many other legal adventures in 2024. Uh, So uh, cheers to a new year. Cheers to just doing our best, to being honest, to showing up, to to good drinks, to rosé and jalapenos. Thank you.